We uh, had a couple of Sundays. Did I just say Wednesday? I didn't, did I? On Sunday nights, okay. Y'all have to look over me. Today's been a day. But uh, we had a couple of Sundays with holidays, and then, of course, we had our Christmas special Sunday evening services. And so here we are together again, and I'm going to tell you what, I look forward to sharing with you tonight what the Lord has laid on my heart. If you have a Bible, let me encourage you to take it out and turn with me to the book of Revelation, nearly all the way to the back. Not Revelation 22, which is the last chapter of Scripture, but Revelation chapter 21. I want us to look at the first four verses tonight as we think about the no mores of New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, we're going to read together verses 1 through 4. John writes, and he says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. And there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things have passed away. Lord, thank you that we get to come together as a church family on a night like this and celebrate your goodness in our lives by fellowship and by worship. Thank you, Father, for what we've been reminded of how, Lord, you redeemed us with the blood of your Son, Christ Jesus. Thank you, Father, that we're marching to a beautiful place that you've prepared for us. Thank you, Father, as the choir reminded us that we do so standing on solid ground. Lord, tonight as we look at these few verses from the book of Revelation, I just pray that you would warm our hearts with them tonight. I pray, Lord, that we would be reminded that we have not only purpose for this life, but a glorious future for the life ahead. God, help us, Lord, tonight to be committed to the task that is at hand because as we're gathered here and we are warm and safe in your grace by faith in Jesus, there are so many people who aren't, so many people who have no hope for a life, a better place to come and have no purpose and no meaning for this life. And so, Father, may our reminder from your word tonight encourage us to go out and share the faith with those who do not know you. Father, thank you for the glorious promises of your word. Lord, just help us to hear them over again tonight, and Father, live a life in according 
to what we find in your word. I pray and I ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus, and amen. The no mores of New Jerusalem. Y'all have been with me long enough and heard me preach long enough now that you understand typically when I preach, the Lord lays a passage or a theme on my heart and we just work through the verses one after the other. But tonight, I want to take one verse out of order as an introduction for what the Bible teaches us here through the pen of the Apostle John. Before we look at verse 1, I want you to skip down to verse 2 of our text and be reminded again of what John writes. He says that he saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. You know, when you preach the Word of God and you put sermons together, one of the things you try to do is find illustrations and anecdotes and sometimes jokes, little stories that help the passage that you're studying connect with those to whom you're preaching. And it's always a blessing when you study one of those passages and attempt to preach it and the illustration is laying right there for you. And that's exactly what John does here in verse 2 as he begins to talk about our eternal destiny. Do you notice that he compares it to a bride adorned for her husband? That's a beautiful illustration, isn't it? May I show you some pictures that I actually have on my phone? I could meet with you after the service And I can prove this to you. Every picture I'm about to show you is recorded for me, saved for me, right there on my phone. I love to take pictures. I was never much at it until my phone started doing all the work. You know, used to, you had to have all these different types of cameras and that kind of thing to get a really good picture. And again, I really wasn't into all of that. And then when I got my first smartphone and started seeing how I could take some pictures, I was pretty impressed. You can go back and you can edit out things and improve the lighting and all of that. And so I have a few pictures that I've taken over the years that I think are pretty good. Let me show you this first one. Maybe you've seen it before, but that's the Portland main headlight. I would encourage you, one of these days, if you ever have the opportunity, take a drive up the northeast and go over to the coastline and make your way up that rugged coast of Maine. That is the most photographed lighthouse in the United States of America. I collect, by the way, I collect lighthouses. I became a lighthouse enthusiast many years ago when my dad used to take our family on vacation down to the Outer Banks of North Carolina. He had a college friend that pastored a church down there, and a deacon in this pastor's church actually was the curator of that beautiful lighthouse, that picturesque lighthouse that's down there on the outer banks of North Carolina. And so when we go down there and visit, I sort of got free reign of that lighthouse, and I could go up and down the stairs and investigate all of those things and 
from that moment until now, when I go somewhere on a coast, I try to find the lighthouse. Well, this is the beautiful Portland, Maine lighthouse. And one of my churches years ago, they bought me a beautiful oil painting of this particular lighthouse that hangs in my study at home. But I was fascinated when we got to visit there and I actually got to take my own picture. Let me show you another picture that I took over in Israel. And this is my favorite scene in Israel. It's up on Mount Arbel. Mount Arbel is a mountain that is on the west coast of the Sea of Galilee. It's the most prominent mountain that circles the Sea of Galilee. It's probably the mountain from which the Lord Jesus gave the Great Commission. And so this is looking away from the coast of Galilee up toward the north. And just a beautiful picture there of those jagged edges. Right beyond these rocks is a long cliff. And from that cliff you can make your way down all the way and circle back to the Sea of Galilee. I just think that's one of the most beautiful, picturesque locations in all of Israel. But I'm going to show you right now the most beautiful picture on my phone. Are you ready for it? Here it is. This, without a doubt, is the most beautiful picture on my phone. She's beautiful, isn't she? If you don't say amen, I'm going to tell her y'all didn't... (laughs) Of course, that's my bride on our big day back many years ago in the Central Baptist Church of Warner Robins, Georgia. That's where Amy's from. That's where she and I got married. And you men, those of you that are married or like me, you remember standing nervously somewhere like this, and all of a sudden that door in the back opens up, And here comes the bride. And there is nothing like seeing your beautiful bride on your wedding day. You know what? I've done a lot of weddings, but I can tell you that I have never seen an ugly bride. Now, there were one or two (laughs) that pushed it. No, it's it's amazing. You you think they're going to push it, and then they spend that morning getting all prepared, and here they come out in that beautiful gown, and the hair is always pristine, and the makeup is just right. There's nothing like a bride adorned for her bridegroom. Well, John describes what God has prepared for us just exactly like that picture of my beautiful Amy. He says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, and it's coming down out of heaven from God, and here is how it's prepared. It's prepared just like that bride that's adorned for her bridegroom, for her husband. I want you to understand that when John speaks of New Jerusalem here in Revelation 21. I believe that John is just simply talking about heaven. You know, in the Gospel of John, 
in chapter 14, as the Lord Jesus is in the upper room with His apostles the night He instituted the Lord's Supper and later He'd be betrayed and after that He'd go through His trials and the scourging all the way to the cross. On that night, as He gathered there with those twelve, He began to tell them that He would soon depart, that He would be going away, and He told them, you know where I'm going, and you know the way. Well, you have Doubting Thomas, right? By the way, I, I don't have time to talk a whole lot about Thomas, but I would say to you tonight, I'm thankful that there was this guy in the room with the apostles all those years ago to ask some really good questions that brought some really good responses out of the Lord Jesus. And so Thomas just asked Jesus, he said, Now Lord, we really don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And that set Jesus up for that great truth that he delivered. We talked about it a little bit this morning where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. But Jesus, ahead of that, had said that he was going to prepare a place. Now, Jesus would prepare that place. He would prepare the way to that place spiritually. He was talking about what was laying out ahead of him as he went through the trial, as he went through the scourging, as he died on the cross as he would three days later come up out of his entombment and live forevermore. He prepared the way, but he also indicated that he was going to prepare a place. And he said, if I go to prepare that place for you, then surely I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I go there you may be also. So Jesus has prepared a wonderful place for His people. And I believe, this is just me, and others of you may disagree with me, and I would say you have every right to be wrong if you want to. No, I'm teasing. I'm really teasing. But I just believe that New Jerusalem is already prepared. God has it ready as the eternal dwelling place for His people in eternity future. And John just looks and he sees it coming down. You know, the Apostle Paul saw it because Paul was lifted up to the third heaven. Now, here in Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, it talks about the heaven as we know it being replaced as a new heaven Let's make sure you understand when you hear those terms, heaven, in Scripture and in other conversations, that you you know what's being discussed. We talk in terms of a first, a second, and then a third heaven. The first heaven is just the atmosphere around this earth. When you get into one of those big jet airplanes, and you get way up there in the sky, and you begin 
to circumnavigate this globe. You're flying through and across the atmosphere, the first heaven. When you get out your telescope and you begin to look beyond the first heaven and see into outer space, that is the second heaven. The constellations that are out there, the stars and the planet and the moon, the sun, all that God has created beyond planet earth and its immediate atmosphere, that's the second heaven. Well, the third heaven is the heaven that we're most interested in, right? The third heaven is this place that we're talking about tonight. It's the place where God dwells in His Spirit. Although God doesn't just dwell there because we know that God is omnipresent. That means that God is everywhere. Aren't you thankful tonight, by the way, that we serve a God that's not confined to time and space, but we serve a God that's wherever we go. The psalmist writes, if I were to ascend to the highest height, Lord, you're there. If I go down to the lowest low into Sheol, Lord, you're there. God is everywhere. But that third heaven is where the Lord Jesus Christ ascended to. It's where he went back to when he left planet earth. It's where those who have gone on before us, who were people of faith, who trusted in the plan of God, who trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's where they are. And Paul talks about the fact that he saw it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He talks of being caught up into the third heaven. He didn't know that he had been lifted up physically, although he could have been. He didn't know if it was in the body or out of the body. Here's the bottom line. He just said, I saw things that could not be told. So he saw the wonder and the grandeur of the third heaven. I'm just saying to you tonight, here's my point. I believe New Jerusalem is already there because John says what? He says, I saw it coming down. So for it to come down, it exists somewhere, right? It's a physical place. It's a tangible place. Never get the idea that heaven up there where God is, the third heaven, is just a thorough. Understand that it's real, that it's touchable, that it is, again, tangible. We know that there are bodies already there. We know that Enoch went to be with the Lord. We know that prophet Elijah was lifted up and he was taken off this earth to be with the Lord. We know that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in a glorified, resurrected body was lifted off the face of this earth and he was taken back to the third heaven. And so there are physical beings in a physical real place. And so the new Jerusalem that's described here for us in the book of Revelation, my point is simply is it's there. It's up there. It's what we refer to as heaven. It's where our Savior is. 
And when we think about the grandeur and the beauty and the splendor of heaven, it makes us do things like write songs, doesn't it? I love the old song, How beautiful heaven must be, sweet home of the happy and free, sweet haven of rest for the weary. How beautiful heaven must be. And maybe one of these days we'll have some time just to talk about the beauties of heaven. But tonight, I want to submit to you that I'm more interested in some other things. More than the beauty of heaven, the glassy sea and the the street of gold and the walls of jasper and those gorgeous, unbelievable things that God has prepared for His people Those are going to be wonderful, but I'm looking forward to some blessed absences. There are some no mores of New Jerusalem, and I want you to see four of them with me tonight as we look at these verses. First of all, in New Jerusalem, as it comes down from God to a new earth, surrounded by a new heaven, it's a place of no more curse. It's a place of no more curse. The Bible says in verse 1 of the text that there will be a new heaven and a new earth and those will replace the first heaven and the first earth. We understand a lot about the first heaven and the first earth. Again, that's the ground upon which we live and the atmosphere that surrounds it. And here's what we know is that it is a cursed place. Now, it's still a beautiful place. Sometimes, going back to a couple of those pictures that I showed you tonight, we can stand in some of those beautiful places and really see a scene that makes our jaws drop, right? Have you ever just been in one of those gorgeous places and you're seeing it for the first time and you're just there in awe and in wonder of how God is such a creative God? There's no artist like God, amen? I mean, nobody can create and just by the decree of His voice create these splendors and these beautiful things that just make us sense how small we are and how great God is. But in the most beautiful place on earth, whatever that is to you, in the most beautiful place on earth, you're still looking at an earth that's living and existing under a curse. Can you even imagine what our primeval parents, Adam and Eve, can you even imagine what they saw? Can you imagine the Garden of Eden before sin came into the world, before the world fell under the curse? You see, everything that we know, all of our experiences of life have been experiences with the curse in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. The Bible records that God actually, God Himself, cursed His own creation. God cursed the earth because of man's sin. 
And all the terrible experiences we have in life are a direct result of the curse that we live under. Paul writes about it in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 8, verse 22, he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You hear what Paul says there? All of creation is groaning with eager anticipation of full redemption. And that full redemption will only come when God wipes away His first creation and He brings in its place a new heaven and a new earth. You see, because of curse we have sin. Because there's sin we have disease. We have aging. We have turmoil. We have weather issues. We have war. Everything bad that we know in our human experience is because of the curse. But the Bible says in Revelation 22 and verse 3, the day is coming when no longer will there be anything that's accursed. That day when God brings forth a new heaven and a new earth, and upon that new earth, He brings down new Jerusalem. In that eternal experience, my beloved friends, there will be no more curse. No more hospitals. No more doctor's appointments. I'm sick and tired of doctor's appointments. My mom's situation dictates that either my sister or I have to take her to her appointment. She's been going through cataract surgeries. She's had the first, and as they were preparing her for that first one, my sister took her to the appointment, and it took them about three hours to get through that appointment. And then I had to take her to the next appointment where she was supposed to just go through, listen to some instructions, and signed papers. We got there at about 1 o'clock in the afternoon. We left at about 3.30 in the afternoon. She's getting ready for the next one. She's had her left eye, the right eye's coming up. Sis took her last week, and sure enough, they got there. The appointment was at 10.50 at 3.50 in the afternoon. They left the doctor's appointment, office rather. Tired of those places. Aren't you thankful? that a day's coming when there will be no more waiting rooms. No more surgeries. No more treatments. No longer, John writes, will anything be a curse. I love the way Isaiah sees it. Isaiah looks across time and years. and In Isaiah 11 verse 9, he says, They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters that cover the sea. Just like you can look out at the Atlantic or the Pacific and you see how the waters go on and on and on and on. The day is coming when God's glory and His perfect knowledge is going to flood the new heaven as those waters that cover the sea. I'm talking to you about a day in which there will be no more curse. No more curse. John writes, and he also describes 
that in New Jerusalem there will be no more separation. Notice at the end of verse 1, he talks about the fact that there will be no more sea. When he sees this new heaven and this new earth replace the first heaven and the first earth, and here is the holy city coming down, as he talks about in verse 2, on that new heaven and in that new earth, there will be no more sea. Now those of you that like to go to a beach vacation, you might read this and say, I don't like that, John. Well, I've got good news for you. It's not that there won't be any water upon the new earth. Because the Bible tells us that in New Jerusalem, there will be living water. And so we know that. But listen, what does it mean when John writes and he says there will be no more sea? You can't forget the context of Revelation. So the Apostle John writes the Revelation from the Isle of Patmos. And you know what the explanation there is. John had been exiled because he was preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus and the Roman emperor Domitian is on the scene at that point. And so John gets taken captive and he is castigated out to the Isle of Patmos, about 60 miles southwest of Ephesus, there in Asia Minor where John was living and ministering before that. And so he is in a place on a small island there with other prisoners who have been sent out there. And can you imagine the Apostle John as he begins to look off of the shore of Patmos and out into that vast Mediterranean Sea And he can look over in the direction of Ephesus where he once was, where I'm sure he'd still love to be, where he would be working with people and ministering and preaching the gospel. But let me ask you, what separated him? That sea. He had no way to get from where he was back over to Ephesus. The sea, in John's eye and in John's mind, represented that which separated. Now, honestly, in our day and age, we never get separated the way we once did. In all of my travels, it's always amazing to me that I could be on the other side of the world and back to my smartphone, as long as I've got an internet connection and Amy and the boys had an internet connection at home. We we could actually look at one another and check in. And so we don't understand separation the way that John did, but we still get it. Even though we can call and we can talk and we can video conference and all of those things, there's nothing like being with your loved ones face to face, right? Don't you always look forward to it? That's one of the beautiful things about the holiday season that we just experienced. I don't know if you were like me, but I had opportunities just in the past few weeks to be around some people 
that I don't get to be around all that often. And how beautiful it is when the separation is not there and you can be together. Well, John describes that in Jerusalem, in this new Jerusalem that God has prepared for you and for me, the day is coming when there's no more separation. There's no more division, no more sea that keeps us from being with those that we want to be with. John writes and he says, there's some blessed no mores of New Jerusalem. There's no more curse. There's no more sea. And this one's going to be somewhat odd as you hear it, but I want you to listen closely. In verse 3, he says, there will be no more faith. In New Jerusalem, there will be no more faith. Look at what the Bible says. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying that the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people and God Himself will be with them as their God. Now what is faith? Faith is a blessing. Let's say that first of all. And faith is real. The writer of Hebrews tells us that it is something we can experience. It's not just something that hangs out in the abstract, but it's a real thing that connects us with the Lord. And so we're thankful for faith. But let's be honest tonight. Here we are in the year 2023 on this continent worshiping a man that we've never seen before. Worshiping a God that we've felt that we've heard when we've read His Word, that we know because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives. But can you imagine that the day is coming when faith will give way to sight? We sing it once again in the old hymn, Face to Face, with Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold Him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face to face I shall behold Him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory I shall see Him by and by. Listen, we will see the Lord. That thrills me tonight that the day is coming when I will leave faith aside. Let's just be honest. There are days when faith is hard. Has your faith ever been tried? Absolutely it has been. There are moments when it's weak. I'm grateful that it never goes away because God keeps that for me. You know, my faith is God's gift to me and I'm thankful for it. But there are moments when it's tough. There are moments when it's hard. There are moments when it's difficult to see how you're going to put one step in front of the other. There are times when you're ready to say, Oh Lord Jesus, could I just get a glimpse? Because faith gets so difficult. Well, my friend, the day's coming. 
The day is coming when we'll no longer walk by faith. As beautiful and as blessed as faith is, we'll give up faith and we will dwell with God. God will be with us. We will be His people and He'll be our God. In New Jerusalem, no more faith. Let me give you the last one and the best one. In New Jerusalem, no more sorrow. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things are passed away. No tears in heaven. I've thought about it so many times in recent days, what the Bible says that, that God collects our tears in a bottle. In other words, God sees every tear that falls from your eyes. God knows when you hurt. God cares when you hurt. And I've thought so many times, for me, the last several months, for me, God must have a very big bottle. Because I've cried like I never thought I'd be able to cry. And many of you have had the same experience. But the Bible here promises that our tears will be dried because death will be vanquished. And with death being gone, there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain. All of those are things of the past. You're like me, I know you are. I hate death. I preached my first funeral yesterday, the first one I've preached since my son's. And it was hard. It was difficult. It was for a precious lady. I was her pastor many, many years ago when I was a 24-year-old young man. And she's a godly, saintly lady who had prayed for years and years and years for that first church that I pastored, Bethany Baptist Church, out in East Pulaski County for it to be restored. They had gone through so many difficult days. And you know they had to be really low or else they wouldn't have called a 24-year-old pastor, right? I hope I wasn't the average 24-year-old pastor. But I can tell you this. There were some godly saints in that church. People who believed. Miss June Hall was one of them. I remember one Sunday morning when God had moved in just a remarkable way and so many people had come to pray and a few people were saved that even without the invitation to do so, she just started testifying. By the way, you're welcome to do that. 
The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So Miss June, I remember that morning, started testifying about how she had been praying for God to blow fresh wind in that old church, and my, how he did it. She would encourage. I knew I had a prayer warrior. So once again, it hurt to be there with a family and stand over a casket, say a few words. Hate death more now than I've ever hated it. Back in 2020, as our world was reeling going through this COVID-19 thing that we knew very little about, my mother called me one morning in mid-April and said, Alan, I don't know what's going on, but something's wrong with your dad. Those of you that knew my dad, some of you knew him. You know, dad was sort of a larger-than-life personality. If dad was in the room, you knew he was in the room. Now, he wasn't obnoxious, but he loved people. And he let it be known. That's just the way dad was. Mom called and said, I don't know what's going on, but something's not right. Dad was just withdrawn. He he wouldn't say much. And it took us two weeks to get him into a doctor's appointment. You remember how it was in those early days of COVID. We took dad to that appointment. And the doctor who was his regular doctor said, there's something not right. You've got to take him to the hospital. And I took him to the front door of that hospital and I had to drop him off because I couldn't go in with him. You know, it was the early days of COVID-19. Two days later, the doctor called us on the phone and talked to us about how he had these masses in his brain and there wasn't anything that could be done. And on May the 18th, I stood by his side and held his hand. And I watched his body die. Now it was glory for him. But it was hard. You know what I'm talking about. Just a few months later, in August, on the 26th, my mother-in-law calls me one early in the morning and said, Alan, you and Amy have to get down here to me. My father-in-law had gone out into the yard that morning and collapsed and again was in the hospital. We got down there. We couldn't even go in to see him. He died by himself because of the pandemic. I know he didn't cross over by himself. We know how that works. I'm thankful for the great story of the rich man and Lazarus that tells us when Lazarus passed away that the angels came and transported his spirit and his soul back to Abraham's bosom. And I know that's the way that it works for those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But for those of us who love them, my friends, it's hard. Of course... The hardest of them all was on April the 3rd. And from the human perspective, 
we begin to think about it and how it hurts and how it stings. I don't know that the human perspective was ever put in more poignant words than Edgar Allan Poe all those years ago put it in The Raven. He wrote, And the raven never flitting still is sitting, still is sitting on the pallid bust of palace just above my chamber door, and his eyes have all the seeming of a demon's that is dreaming, and the lamplight o'er him streaming casts his shadow on the floor, and my soul from out that shadow that lies floating on the floor will be never lifted, never lifted, never more. I hate death. But may I tell you tonight, upon the authority of God's Word, death does not win. Paul says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on the incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. When the corruptible has put on incorruption, and the mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? The sting of sin is death, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death. And because there's no more death, there's no more sorrow or crying or no more pain for the former things have passed away. Hmm. Heaven, so beautiful. It can't be described. Our temporal minds wouldn't be able to process it. How beautiful it's going to be. But tonight, celebrate the fact that in heaven, there are some beautiful, wonderful subtractions. No more curse. No more separation. No more faith. And no more sorrow. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father God, thank you that our experience in this life now is not all there is. <laughs> Thank you, Father, that you have prepared a grand place for us. And thank you, Father, that the day is coming when you're bringing that place down to a new heaven and a new earth. Father, how we long for that. Father, tonight, I pray that we would leave here not discouraged, but we would leave here rejoicing because of what's coming. 
But I also pray that tonight, Lord, you would help us to leave here being committed to tell others about what you have in store for those who are redeemed by your grace. God, move in our hearts. If there's one who needs to come and just rejoice about what you've prepared, may he or she come. If there's one who needs to come to receive Christ, if there's one who needs to come to deepen his or her commitment to living for you, I pray, Father, that you would have your will and your way in each heart. God, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.